1: No! Your ass better call somebody.
0: Research and development,
1: putting in the man hours to study the science of what you need. Last week we put liquid paper on a bee, and it died. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. Can I tell you something without you getting angry? I love you. Yeah, you big
0: guy. Mm-hmm. Welcome back in, everybody, to another edition of the 40 Test Dynasty Football Podcast. Thank you so much for tapping in and hitting play. Man, Friday, this is coming out. And everything gets kicked off on Thursday night, so you kind of get to see hopefully you don't have a lot of Titans, because I don't think that's gonna go very well for you, but maybe your Dallas helps you get that little bit of edge in the championship week. But the big ones Sundays, and then we got a hell of a Monday night matchup to finish it off with a lot of fantasy implications. So I think we are set up for a phenomenal championship week Now let's just hope it's starting off so bad already with all these damn injuries and all these stars being out and last minute pivots that we have to make and quarterbacks being sent home for the rest of the year it's not the greatest but we wish everybody a happy week 17 championship week and we hope if you're in the finals you're gonna win some damn money this week but let's not skip over the fact man how you doing adam welcome in buddy
1: Happy, happy man. Um, in a couple of championships, you know, and we're gonna see what happens. A um, lot of people are already not playing injuries. Derek Carr is being sent home. We're getting to get. You probably didn't think it was coming, but we're gonna get another Jared Sidham show. Um, we're gonna get a lot of crazy, crazy, crusty shows. We got the Nick Foles um, bad experience last week in the uh, Colts game. We're gonna really test some patience of some dynasty managers who are finally in the title game and are looking at some clunkers coming their way Uh, we just did the trade show and we had a Hassan Haskins trade where that was the primary featured player in a best ball league so it's getting gross out here Mike Um, I'm ready though man week 17 it's title time let's go win one
0: absolutely wolf well tonight what we're gonna do is we have a a YouTube giveaway (laughs) that we did on our channel if You want to go check out our YouTube channel anytime, just hop over there. But we did do a YouTube giveaway with our Patreons at our uh, patreon.com forward slash South Harmon. And the winner of it, one of them, we had 10, yeah. picked the topic for the 4D Chess Dynasty podcast. But it's actually a fantastic one and one that I thought about doing anyways. And it's what are the biggest things that we learned this year? that we're going to apply and change in strategy heading into next year, Adam. So being in week 17, man, I'll start this off. The number one thing that comes to my mind when I saw this topic and I've thought about it for multiple weeks, the biggest thing that I learned, the first one, is how damn important having liquidity is on my teams. And it doesn't matter if it's a rebuilder. On a rebuilder, I want all the liquidity possible. But on a contender I didn't do a good enough job this year of having extra liquidity around, right? Too many of my contending teams, even in best ball, were built in July and August and September. And Adam, now we're sitting here. Now, some of these made it to the championship rounds. But I'm thinking, like, how much could I clean up in these leagues with no trade deadline if I still had 23 picks, if I still had 24 picks, right, I had extra thirds laying around where I could go buy some of these spots, start shitty running backs, some of these kind of guys just to plug into my basketball teams. You know, the the Rashid Shahids of the world, you go out and you find the Jawan Johnson or you find the the uh, Jarek McKinnon, who's been on a hot streak as of late. I don't have enough liquidity on some of these contenders because I'm envious of the people who do who have made it to the championship and do have those pieces laying around. But even throughout the season at very various times, you know you find yourself in in like those middle of the road teams where they're just not going as well. I think I need to be more comfortable being in that 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 kind of like no man zone Adam, where I don't need to be completely all in but and i don't need to be completely all out and play more of the variants right and play that getting into the playoffs at the five or six seed or getting in the playoffs at the three or four seed and being comfortable with it as long as i have enough assets to push in at the right time when when i want to when more of the chips are on the table when more of the injuries have been decided and more of the pictures of who's playing and who's getting the snaps and who's getting the touches and who's established themselves is is far more clear i think the problem has been not having liquidity and then pushing in too soon and, and kind of jumping the gun and that's definitely something next year when i build a lot of these teams adam i'm going to be more patient i'm going to be diamond handing my own draft picks even if i think they're going to be late and not just throwing away so willy-nilly and i'm going to be more aggressive. In trying to acquire third-round picks, <laughs> more aggressive in trying to collect all those extra assets that people just seem to throw away on a, on a whim yeah. for these exact moments.
1: Yeah, I think um, the the draft pick one is one that's very eye-opening. I think, like I, I think we all know this, and, and when you play enough, you start to see it play out. I think this year in particular. And the reality is, maybe it just didn't hit us as hard in other years. Maybe we didn't quite have enough of the variance of the attrition that took place. But the reality is, the last few years there has been attrition in the worst times, and we just talked about it to start the show. What there is going on in this point of the season, week 17, how many people are not going to be playing? And Mike, Mike, here's what I saw: two two of the leagues that I like the most. Like I, you know, we all have our leagues that we're in big portfolios, right? But there was there's obviously some you pay more attention to than others, or you're kind of like this team is ready to go more so than others, right? You kind of planned out. And this is both in lineup and best ball, which I think gave me more insight. Like in best ball, I kind of thought, you know, and I still do, but if you build it correctly in the off season, you can kind of forego not having your pick because you can basically load up on so much depth and talent that even if some things go wrong – I feel strategically enough about myself that I can make up the fact that I didn't have the perfect season, right? If you have enough depth, I think you can do that. The problem is I saw this even in best ball, Mike, with a team where I thought this team is just unreal. And I ended up sneaking in the playoffs with a bunch of moves I made, but I ended up losing in the wild card. I had you know Lamar didn't play. I didn't have I didn't have Trey Lance and Kenny Pickett was on concussion in the wild card weekend, right? Gino was my only quarterback of consequence. I added Brett Ripon. That doesn't even really count in Superflex. Right? I had one quarterback. So the, the the point with all that, and best ball even especially, what it, what I think the last part you said there, right? Diamond in your own pick. Now, liquidity I think is important on best ball, even if it's not your own or lineup. But when you have your own pick, what I found out in a lineup league, Mike, is this. Your flexibility is taken away. And I think that's one thing that people don't, understand quite enough of so I had a team in lineup that's built great too right problem with this team like and I'll pull up the team just to kind of give you an idea of how tragically wrong everything went right so I had Dak get hurt early all right so I had Cam Akers be relevated to absolutely nothing based on what we thought he was going to be I had DeAndre Swift playing (laughs) no snaps getting hurt early I had Matthew Stafford get hurt right? You're talking about both my quarterbacks were not playing well or hurt at bad periods of time. DJ Moore, great guy that we love, but didn't do anything. Kyle Pitts, right? Kyle Pitts was awful and then got hurt. Like the only, I I still had some really good players on this team, Travis Kelsey and AJ Brown, Saquon Barkley, but in lineup, that's not enough in Superflex when you have all those other things going wrong. And this is a team that I was already loaded with picks, Mike, but here's the thing. I had six firsts. But I was so convinced mine was going to be 110, 111, 112. I didn't have my own pick. So guess what happens? Now, what's crazy is even with all that liquidity, I didn't have the flexibility to say I still was trying to go win because I didn't have my own pick. So I'm trying to make it later. If I have my own pick in that scenario, I'm far more comfortable moving off of Barkley at a premium when he's killing it, right? I'm I'm able to make the direction – down much more easily because I have my own pick as opposed to saying, this team still should be a contender. Once I get in the playoffs, I'll be good as opposed to letting someone just be gifted what ended up happening be the 104-105. Liquidity's big. I, I think that whole conversation's good, but when you have your own, I think the thing about it is whether it goes right or wrong, you're flexible. If it goes wrong, you keep that pick because it can become so, so crucial. If I have the ability to, to take a failed contender with my pick and make it the 101 with appropriate moves, that's a massive massive gain in Dynasty. Yeah. If I have a team that I don't think is contending, but it ends up being contending, and now I'm in a league where I can trade in the playoffs, I can now move that pick appropriately, where I would have thought it was early, now in the playoffs when I'm actually going to need it. So, the timing I think is the big thing.
0: I'm not, I'm also not like saying if somebody does something stupid and they're like, you already have a strong team. They're like, I will give you Patrick Mahomes for your your first round pick. Obviously, you know, break seventy five tables on the way to go It's that deal. But I'm mean, I you we started off the year. You know, we talked about it. We did the episode when we were at the expo. Um, like Antonio Gibson, people selling you know sell for any late first, and I'm like, I'll buy for any late first at this price. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about where I'm not going to do it. And it's not just Antonio Gibson. Some of those moves that, that I made and bought for late first, they paid off. But it's just not having the flexibility that I wish I had now at the most crucial time. The absolute most crucial time. And I will say this, Adam. The one difference, too, that I learned through all this to kind of tie it in with it is that there is, there's variance in fantasy football all throughout. There is definitely, and and we have seen it, you have seen it, you just talked about it, less variance in a properly constructed best ball team than there ever will be in a lineup team. Like best ball, you can can get by without having your first, right? Like you have a quote-unquote failed contender in this best ball team without your pick, but you still made the playoffs, Adam. You didn't miss the playoffs. You miss the playoffs in a lineup team lineup league without your first. It is it is hugely detrimental. Like you you almost have no shot in a lineup league if all those things start going wrong for you, Adam. And you're talking about I just got Gino, I just got this guy, you know, I i lost Kyle Pitts. Plus, I was pushing the button on Kyle Pitts for the first four weeks when he wasn't doing anything and actively hurting my team. That is very different than in best ball, where cow pits can be underperforming or you could have your two starting quarterbacks get hurt, but maybe your third and fourth stringer are doing just enough to make your lineup and keep you afloat, and get you a win against the median or get you the spot win here and there against other teams and get you into the playoffs where not having that pick isn't a gift to somebody else. You do that in a lineup league. It's over for you. Like you'd be gifting somebody in early 23 first. It is completely possible. So there is, There's variance throughout, but there definitely is less variance in best ball where you can be a little bit more comfortable without your pick. But still in general, man, even if you have a trade deadline that's like week 13, think of all the moves you could have made at the end of the season to go by, you know, not even for first, but bam night when he was hot. And that would have got you weeks. You know, that could have helped you win a wild card game. You could have got a uh, Mike White, you know, any of these guys out there that, the uh I talked about it earlier, the Jarek McKinnons who have been on a hot streak. Like those guys, Cam Akers. When people are out on Cam Akers, what's he do? He comes in, he basically wins people weeks in the semifinals. And and that guy what cost you a could a late second, maybe a second and a third, whatever the case would have been. But not having that capital to be able to trade at the time is, is what I'm really focused on. And making sure that I have those assets available whether it's my own or other people's, but just having some sort of liquidity that I can move in when I see the opportunity to strike. And I will say this, and I want to diamond hand them in my best ball, best ball leagues, but I'm sure as hell diamond in the piss out of them in my lineup leagues. Cause I've seen them go South fast. And you talked about flexibility. I had a similar team, Adam, where it's, it's, it's built for, like, I thought it was a really strong contender, but I just had some bad stuff happen in the lineup. You know, I had some quarterback injuries. I had some running backs underperform. You know, Dalvin Cook hadn't been the greatest all year, and that's the guy who I'm relying on and starting every week as my RB2. Some of my wide receivers took some time to get going. I just had really awful luck, but by, like, week seven or eight, I'm out there going, well, I have two directions to go. I still had my own first-round pick, so if I want to tear this thing down to the roots – and, and try to go for an early 23 first. I have that flexibility, but I also still have the draft capital. If I can find a good enough deal, maybe to sure up some spots, maybe I can get in the playoffs and play the variants and try to win a championship. It ended up working out where I I ended up trading away like the Dalvin Cooks, right, trading away the Aaron Jones. Those were the best deals possible, getting back multiple firsts. And and now I'm sitting there with you know my own pick being the 102, <laughs> plus a couple other firsts and and I feel good about that team but not having that flexibility if I would have traded away my first earlier in the season where I'm forced to compete like you were talking about uh that I don't like it <laughs> I don't want to be in that spot because everybody can anybody with a brain can look and go to like oh he doesn't have his first he has to compete like he has to push these chips in I'm not giving him a sweetheart deal but if you can go either way if you can go either direction nobody knows what really your game plan is. I'll I'll send out one offer that looks like I'm competing to you, but then I'll go to the guy right next to you and send out an offer where it looks like I'm tanking. Whichever one of you takes the offer, that's the direction that I'm picking. So I like having that flexibility for me. The biggest thing, draft capital is the one thing I learned. Having the liquidity, having the ability to move pieces in and out as I see fit and as I wanted to strike.
1: How about you? What was one of yeah. the biggest things you learned this year, Adam? Well, obviously that was one for both of us, but l- let me give you a part two or or the second thing I think we need to talk about. So, whether it's lineup or best ball, right? I think we both will agree. And dynasty degenerates in best ball because of the way the game works, right? If you struck, if you construct your roster appropriately, there's so much depth that you can afford. Like, Mike, that team that I had in in best ball that ended up making the semis and lost in the first round still scored very well. It just – I played a bad – I had bad luck. I literally had the most points for scored against me by a mile, right? (laughs) I had seven huge injuries. Uh, Swift was bad. Trey Lance got hurt. Lamar got hurt untimely. I mean, I had injuries left and right. Um, Still made the playoffs, right? Still, honestly, like given all of that. Had a chance to win. Had things actually broken right at the right time. So in best ball, I'll make the pivot with my pick if the time, even if the time's not right, if the deal presents itself in the offseason, I'll do it in best ball a little more likely than I would in lineup. But Mike, either way, what I've learned is obviously protecting your own picks, the flexibility you have with your own pick, but what am I willing early to invest in, so I think that's the big part, part for me in Dynasty Degenerates. I want to talk to you guys about is what are we going to invest in early? So, like w- we just talked about, what we don't want to do, learning experiences, right? Cam Akers had a great week last week. Three touchdowns. <laughs> the teams that I was in the playoffs with that he I had him in one because he hurt me getting to the playoffs. Awesome. But all the 23 firsts, if I spend a 23 first to get him, bad investment. I don't care how much you like Cam Akers or hate him. Even if things would have went right for him, it's not the best investment, right? A guy who's coming off an Achilles injury, you know, year three of his career, even if it breaks right, it's just not the right investment. That position, that situation, doesn't make sense based on how the v- values fall. If I'm going to invest my first. Early, right? So what am I going to do that for? If I can get into the top 12 quarterbacks, even if it's more than just my first, like I'm going to do that. Because, like, let, let's take a look, right? Cam Akers, even coming off that week, Mike, when I look at keep trade cut, he's not a first pager. He He's not a second pager. Barely a second pager, right? He's, like, barely inside the top 100 after a massive week. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray had a horrible season and is hurt. Kyler Murray is 24th overall on keep trade cuts page, right? Like the variance of where he's going to fall, even in the, if like, that's the worst case scenario for Kyler Murray, right? Didn't have a good season, got hurt, season ender, might not start the season next year. Still a top 25 overall player asset and dynasty. Like even if I lost, it all went wrong with Kyler Murray. I'm safe there. I'm secure. So if I get a top 12 quarterback, I'll do it. I think the eye-opener for me is if I can get a true elite receiver, and I think we have to be cautious about who that type player is. Jamar Chase, the top five guys for sure, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, young guys with good profiles that are highly valuable receivers. Also, I will make the move for those guys. They're going to retain value. Jamar Chase got hurt this year. <laughs> it's as if he didn't even lose any value, right? Mm-hmm. And then I, I look at tight end too, Mike, the elite ones. So – Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews hasn't done dick all. I mean, think about this. He has not done a damn thing for how many weeks now? He doesn't have a quarterback. Mar's not playing. There's turmoil on if he's going to come back to the Ravens. Doesn't matter. Top 30, 35 asset tight end premium, period. Like, elite tight ends, difference making wide receivers, quarterbacks, I don't care. Like, I will move my pick regardless. Like, those are positions I will do it for. You could probably do it still for a Brees Hall type, like Bijan Robinson. But look at how Brees Hall's working, right? Even Brees Hall went out smashed, got hurt. You're going to retain some value there. But it, it maybe it is a little more risky to do that with him. But if you did it with Bijan and Bijan went out and got hurt, you're still going to have some value insulation. The point I'm making is the fringy guys, early, the value insulation isn't there, right? The aging running back, Alvin Kamara, right? If you would have missed the rest of the year, that's a cratering asset. Cam Akers going into year three off an Achilles, cratering asset. Gibson, B. Rob, whatever you think of them, these are the cratering assets you don't want to early put your twenty-three or your twenty-four chips on. What you want to do is somebody that has value insulation if it goes wrong. I think for me too. When you're talking about this, Adam,
0: these, you know, so much, I, so much of, of going into this season you know, was was me being combative or trying to fight it. And you, you kind of talked about it with Cam Akers, but we had Gibson. We had plethora of, of people who were like, you don't sell for any first or, you know, these guys aren't worth a first. So if you can get off them for this, go ahead. And I fought back against it where I was like, I'll buy these guys. I'll buy these guys. I'll buy these guys. I'll say this. If I want to tie these two points together, Adam, I think what I learned when you're talking about this is that I'm willing to do it for I I don't want to do it for a single player straight up, right? That that just feels like a bad range. It feels like a bad bet that you're going to make your first versus this player actually being good. Now, some of them are are stupid obvious where it's like, you know, sell Devontae Adams for any first. Well, I still think Devontae Adams has another couple years, right? Still has another couple years, and he showed it this year. Or like a Tyreek Hill, like some of these guys we were down on. I think those are the ones you can get into. But we've seen stuff in the past where they've been elite difference makers. The ones I want to stay away from are the K-Makers or the Antonio Gibsons or uh, Christian Kirk. Like these kind of guys where we're we're betting on potential. We're betting on youth. We're betting on them actually having a breakout that they may not ever have. And if they do, the payoff isn't as great as we'd like to hope. And if they don't, the consequences are detrimental. So I think I'm going to shy away from doing those kind of moves a lot more. And being more in line with taking that first, applying it with another player, like in that range, you know, like a first in Cam Akers, and trying to go to the elite of the elite range, right? I know Jonathan Taylor can be a difference maker, and I'm more willing to make a bet on JT and be disappointed in a season like this, because he may have a bounce back next year where he's back to being an elite war player. Like, he's back to being that that league winner, where... If I if I guess wrong and he has a bad, bad year this year, the landing is a lot softer because I still think JT has another two, three years in him where he can be and has been in the past. That elite, just plug and play, don't worry about it, running back, that'll last for a while. But even more so, there's not a lot of running backs outside of JT that you want to do that with in regards, right? That's another point that we'll get to. But... I'm looking at the other positions, which are the true difference makers, right? Taking those kind of assets and your first and going up into what you talked about, the elite of the elite quarterback range, right? Going up into those guys, paying the Pied Piper to go get a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts or, you know, even a Joe Burrow, right? Like those kind of guys that are going to last for a while and have been elite in the past or can be elite for a while going forward. But also more so like these wide receivers, right? There's a lot of wide receivers or, or, you know, the people like Kelsey. I couldn't believe, you know, how how dare you pay a a Pat Fryermuth in your first to go to Travis Kelsey in the preseason? That's crazy. I'll take the tear down all the time. And then you find out that Travis Kelsey is one of the biggest difference makers and the reason a lot of people made championships and are going to win money this year. Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And Why? He's been elite for a while, Adam, and you're just making the simple bet that he's going to continue to be elite, at least for this year and maybe next year and maybe a year after that. Those are the easy bets to make. They look bad at the time, and I did too much shitting on people for doing it, and I regret it wholeheartedly, right? The whole trade away Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, right? Trade away these wide receivers while they're at peak value because they can't go anywhere than up. Maybe in dynasty value, they can't add them. Maybe they can't go any higher. Maybe they can't get drafted any higher in startup. But what they mean to your team if you have them (laughs) right now is the difference between you being in the championship and potentially winning and sitting on the outside going like, shit, I shouldn't have teared down from Jamar Chase to, you know, the shitty wide receiver and a a draft pick. I shouldn't have done this, right? I should have been on the – opposite end and paying the draft pick and the shitty wide receiver to go get Jamar Chase when he was available so I think for me that's when I tie warp together when I tie liquidity and how I want to construct rosters that's the only way that I'm going to be pushing those chips in at an early time as if I have an opportunity to get to that elite range and you just got to take them when you get them you just got to say fuck it and go for it
1: yeah and I think the the, the last part of that is like in the 4D process, right? Okay, so I think Mike, the one difference I would I would say and I, I'm not saying you, you said this is necessarily incorrect, but like had Cam Aker had the Rams come out, there were a lot of things that had to happen based on what we thought, right? We thought the Rams were going to be good. We thought this team was going to score a lot of points. They brought in Allen Robinson. We thought that was a that was an ad that was worthy of something. We thought Matthew Stafford was going to be better. We thought obviously Cooper Cup was good, but the whole offense as a whole was bad. But let's say the offense was good, this was still a Super Bowl contender, and Cam Akers was smashing. Yeah, he's probably worth the 23 first. Actually, I think people are very much in on Cam Akers, but okay, that's still probably in the 23 first range, right? Like, what you add, if it goes right, is not enough from what the bottom is. I think that's the big thing. And Mike, here's what my, the the point I want to make to really drive that home when you think about 4-D, because We also talk about you can move the asset at any time, right? Think about the 22 class, which doesn't have the 23 hype, all right? There is a single player, a single player that went in the first round every time that's worth less than Cam Akers right now. Sky Mm. Moore. Mm, Sky Moore. There it is. Yep. Everybody else, I don't even care. Like, Mike, Jameson Williams has not played, and when he has played, has not played. Yes. keep trade cut has him a top 50 player in super flex like Damn. Traylon Burks right polarizing wide receiver one best player in the class asthma doesn't play all the time he's hurt has good weeks has bad weeks Malik Willis is in kills his value still valued above him wide receiver 22, right? It doesn't matter. Jahan Dotson, who was basically a second round pick in most of these leagues, right? And has had a very hot and cold and injury riddled season. Top 70 player in Dynasty. So there's just a... You're, you're making a bet on an asset that even if it doesn't do well, like it has to be a sky more season where it goes to an offense which is supposed to be great. And it just completely flaps the entire time for it to be worse than what Cam Akers is. So when I look at what it could... When you make the bet on the fringy guy, even if it's a polarizing upside player that has potential, what that could amount to versus what it could crater to, it's way, way worse on the risk side than the reward side. You, and you don't want to be left holding the bag, right? You
0: don't. <laughs> you don't. Could it pay off? Could it pay off? Yeah. Yeah, it could. And, and we've done it in the past, right? And I think that's why we've been more apt or open to it. Mm-hmm. But this year, you know, when I could buy the first two things that we learned, Adam, like I just I can't do it. Right. For multiple reasons. I can't do it because what you just said, the the payoff. Could it be worth it? Yeah. Is the downside really bad? Absolutely. And how do I want to construct my teams? I'd rather have the liquidity. I'd rather keep the draft pick because I can do so much with it at so many different times throughout the season. Right. I'm not locked into I bought Cam Akers in August and now I'm sitting here with shit on my face, right? I could be sitting here in championship week going like, hey, who wants the 112? (laughs) And there's all kinds of people with turds out there, right? I think about all these basketball leagues. What the 112 could buy you could be like four or five pieces of just absolute turds that people don't value or don't think are going to be worth anything next year, but would actually help you win a week, right? Actually help you win the championship. You could go out and buy a, a, a... uh, jarek mckinnon a bam knight and a brock purdy and it probably doesn't cost the 112 you know what i mean somebody will be like thank you
1: <laughs> thank yeah. you
0: yeah i'll get off these guys for sure you can have them i'll take the 112 and i'll re-roll into a rookie i'm not playing for money right now so this is perfect but it works out for both parties so i'd much rather be in that position when it comes to crunch time than to do this in july and august and go like oh well glad cam acres finally showed up one week this (laughs) this year and actually did something
1: yeah no no question and i think mike um you know as i'm thinking about you know the things we learned and you know we we, we got this question posed to us mike i I think another thing for me and and i wouldn't say this is something i learned per se this year like i've known this is probably the thing but i once again i saw happen time and time again And, and i think mike this one is not as, like, defining per se. We, we could talk about what we think makes sense for this scenario. But in season, man, in, in Dynasty Degenerates, I, I promise you, if you're playing and you've been tapped into this, you have seen this too now this year. And if you think about this, this is one of the harder things to do because when in, in the year, right, you're thinking this guy is smashing and why would I ever move this player? But in season, when guys are getting to peak value, man, it is just, it is the hardest thing to do because you want to win. And there's the money aspect of winning now. But if you can have enough combination of savviness and common sense and detaching yourself from names, like we talk about all the time, you can move off of so many assets that just, I don't care what happens, you win in dynasty value, Period. Like, Saquon Barkley, right? We told everybody, do not sell this prospect right now in the offseason because he's at an all-time low. There's just no way he's going to go lower. Mm -hmm. Comes out and smashes. He's going to win people leagues. Like, that's probably going to happen. But you're never going to get Saquon Barkley value after this year of what it was during the season. You could have traded for two-plus this year, right? You could have absolutely done it. You look at so many players like that, Mike, where – outside of like the elite range quarterbacks because they can retain that value for so long. Like when you get to a player, especially at the running back position, that's not one of these elite quarterbacks and you can trade out of that. Like Kenneth Walker hit that this year, right? Like Kenneth Walker went from guy. We hyped up a lot to dynasty RB one. If you can pivot out at that true price, it's hard to do in the moment. Cause you want to win. But man, you're just there's no way you lose when you pivot out at that peak spot,
0: right? You can just rinse and repeat every single year, every single year, and you just keep the cycle going, right? If you if you do it, you know in 2020 and you, you net two or three first for for a guy who's at peak value and you you de-risk yourself, you're done. Then you go to the next year. Now you're up to five first total. Between the, the next guy that you sold off at the peak value. And then you go to twenty twenty two and you do the same thing. Like you could be sitting there getting a lot of people's throw-ins, right? You could be sitting there going, Man, I've got six twenty-three first and I still have a good team. Like I still I still have the liquidity where I'm I'm playing the variants. I'm in the playoffs, I'm the wild card team now let me see if I can buy some old crusty vets. Like I want to keep these picks because I know these picks are going to be the one oh one, This is going to be the one-oh-four. This will be the one-oh, you know, whatever it is, but you might go out there and sell the one-oh-seven and get four or five pieces in a ball team to get you over the hump, or you might go out there and be able to buy. We just did a trade on the trade show where it's, you're buying a, a Tyree kill because of the two-a-news the being done, but you're in the championship right now. And what better way to just plug a, a, a dynamic wide receiver into your wide receiver spot, then have the liquidity of the ability to go like I got two first, I can send you for it. Like I know this is the one ten, and this this next one in twenty twenty four is going to be late. I want to buy Tyreek at a discount. I think this is probably the right price to pay. The little news, the whole thing works out for you in the long run when you look at it and go, man, if I just sell these players at peak value in season and play a little bit of the variance game, I accomplish everything that we've been talking about so far. <laughs> everything. I get to liquidity. I can go down to these lesser tiers, these these guys who are like one-year wonders, but I'm always churning out. I'm always having these picks. I'm always having the ability to go any direction that I feel like at any given time, and all it takes is, man, Cass Walker's playing well. I'm glad I hit on him in the rookie draft. I'm glad Mike and Adam talked me into drafting him at the 102 or the 103. He's now the Dynasty RB1. But you're a 1,000% right, man. In the moment, it is so hard, so hard to come off of those guys. It's easy for the top quarterbacks because you know that they're so rare, they're so elite, they maintain their value forever, but it's so hard to do it with the Kenneth Walkers. It's so hard to do it with the... Uh, your guy, George Pickens, right? Right. When he started getting all that hype, right? And then he actually started having this little bit of connection with Kenny Pickett. And he's rising up boards. It's like, I nailed it. I hit it. You gotta you gotta talk to yourself. You, you gotta go like, Great, glad I did something awesome. Time to shop him around am <laughs> try to see if somebody will pay me a first to two seconds for this guy and I'll re roll it later.
1: Yeah, and, and it's a hard thing to put your finger on, um as as far as actually like Giving a definable, this is your cash out moment. But I think the more you play, the more you tap into this show, the more you tap into Destination Devi, Scott Connor, Ray, Jay Rich, Eric, Gene like all these guys, you'll start to understand when guys are hitting peaks and when it's probably the right time to pivot out. And, and I'll use a couple examples, Mike, where maybe it didn't even work out right or wrong for you. But like, if you think about this for a second, right? Like, I'm going to give you some hard ones that worked out for a second. Okay, so when you look at what happened for Mark Andrews' season last year, right, how it started, how he was really coming along, and the, how he finished, I mean, this guy was absolutely on fire. Like, yep. he, he, t- he, he got to t- tight end one range. You're looking at this year, okay? Once again, the first six weeks of the season, Mike, I mean, this is solidified tight end one, right? Yep. 26, like you're thinking, man, this is my league winner for a long time. But, Mike, like th- think about this for a second. I- and this is where I'm going to push back a little on the tight end position as much as I think it's important to have an edge there if you can, even in tight end premium. It's just not the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's, it's good. It can give you warp. Travis Kelsey's giving you insane warp. But, like, it's not. The long-term security is not there. I think Mark Andrews is still probably tight end one for a lot of people. But he's not giving you shit in warp. He's not going to be the reason anybody's won a title this year, period. Like, even if they helped make this team good, he has not scored since the bye week easily, Mike. You you could have traded Mark Andrews, if you would have detached yourself from the name, for George Kittle and a first plus probably, like in these tight and heavy premium leagues. Like, I'm not exaggerating. You could have traded off Andrews for peak value, and you may have thought in the moment, like, man, did I just give away a title? Maybe maybe you feel that way, but if you're getting the true max value out, you still have the liquidity to play with. If your team's constructed right, you can still do that on a contender. I think sometimes it's really what's really hard is when you think you're a contender to move off the guy at the peak value, because anyone will move off of Saquon on a rebuild or these guys on a rebuild. But when you're contending, can you thread the needle of like get replaceable points back in the in the positions which are not incredibly necess- necessary? and also have liquidity to play with later.
0: So you're, you're talking about it, Adam, too. Like one of the, the craziest things in regards to Mark Andrews, that that ridiculous hot start and then just the fall from grace for the rest of the year. Um, all the way down, tight end three in warp for our, uh, our shit auction scoring, right? I'm looking at the data that Kuba put together for us. I mean, he's the 44th ranked player in warp, right? There's 20 running backs ahead of him and nine receivers, and... 12 quarterbacks. So like he's basically replaceable when you get passed up by TJ Hawkinson as more valuable <laughs> in tight end warp, right? In just warp in general. It's kind of wild to think about, especially from a best ball perspective. But what you're saying right there, we know the heater like George Kittle has been been on. Could you imagine like week six? George Kittle is disappointing. You trade Mark Andrews for George Kittle and a first. Like, just something basic. You may have even gotten more out of it, right? You but you, Probably you could have, yeah. You just make that move and you sell off high. You're not even really making a bet on George Kittle. But now you're enjoying the fruits of the labor of George Kittle in the fantasy playoffs, just being an absolute fucking monster for you. And I bet if you looked to just tight end warp for the last couple weeks, when it's really counted, like, Head and shoulders, (laughs) head and shoulders above everybody else, including Travis Kelsey. And then you got that first, Adam. Like you're sitting here in the playoffs, maybe in the semis, maybe in the championship round, and you look at some of these other guys on the warp list who are actually producing, who you can easily buy for that first. Easily, easily. And it's not even your first. It may be some guy who missed the playoffs, right, because he bought into Mark Andrews and then failed him at the last minute, right, and just knocked him out of the playoffs you might be looking at the 107. you can't look and tell me that like if you needed to shore up your quarterback spot you could go get a geno smith right who's qb6 overall on the season in warp now i don't know how that factors out for the last three weeks but we have the ability and smart people who can actually run you the data and tell you and go like over the last five weeks here's like the top guys in warp right and you can get a good trend of where it's at where to spend it but you can go get a quarterback And you may be able to go out and get like a, you know, just throwing a name out there, but like a Jamal Williams or a Devin Singletary or something like that for that single first. And now you're looking at it in a much better situation heading in. If you got Mark Andrews, like now not a lot of people want to buy him. Maybe they want to buy him for future, but the value isn't what it was. It's not even close. Nobody's going to pay you what they would have paid you back in the day, week six, which feels like forever ago. So definitely the smart move when you're talking about that selling guys at the highest point because it just opens up all the options you get to liquidity you get to de-risk yourself in case something happens like mark andrews starts playing poorly the offense looks bad lamar jackson gets hurt tyler huntley can't get anything going with with mark andrews and other tight ends have stepped up and kind of taken over in these last couple weeks but you you have the assets you got the the safety net right you got another tight end back and you got draft capital. So I do agree with you, man. Yeah. Like, I think it's absolutely fucking monumental on your teams to be able to go, I want to win. This guy has been helping me win. And if they're not one of these super elite quarterbacks, man, I think you just pivot off of them. And There's- the only other the only other two like positions I can really think about, Adam, that I wouldn't do, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, is just Travis Kelsey because he's just so different, right? It didn't matter even when Mark Andrews was smashing, Travis Kelsey was smashing harder. Right, <laughs> he was right. he was still kicking his ass in warp. It didn't matter. Travis Kelsey is just But, but built, Mike, the difference different.
1: there, let me just say the difference there, and I'm with you, is this too. Travis Kelsey, because of his age, never commanded the hall that Mark Andrews did. I think that's Very the true, big caveat, right? Mark yeah. Andrews, you could have gotten youthful, Years of replacement, like this is your stud for four, five, six years. You could sell that. Because of that, it gives you an insane price. Where Travis Kelsey, it's like, okay, what his warp is versus what his dynasty cost is, it doesn't amount to the same, which is why I'm not moving Kelsey. And Mike, I'll say this, like a guy in the same range, but for whatever reason, I watched so many different deals where he was getting the price where I'll sell I know you're going to be like, this is revisionist history. Everybody listening, that's fine. But you can go back and look at trade shows. You can listen to us talk. Like Cooper Cup was a guy that made the list for me as far as like, what do you do, right? It's polarizing. He's smashing so hard, but this is a 28, 29-year-old receiver. Like if you can give me in best ball two first and a replacement player, like I, I know you, Scott, and I did the trade show, and it's like Rondell Moore. Best mm-hmm. ball, I'll do that. Line up, maybe not, but point is, those are the type of assets I think that when they peak and the dynasty value that you can re- recoup back is insane. Like a Cooper Cup, like a Mark Andrews, like Barkley at the peaks. It's not Patrick Mahomes. Like, it's not Josh Allen. Those guys can be really good for a long time and in superflex. You don't want to move those guys unless you're getting back a significantly ridiculous haul where you're getting a stud two at quarterback. These other positions... I'm I'm so much more willing, I think, year in and year out, Mike. Seeing how this plays out, to take the risk, even if I think this maybe diminishes my chances, to win. Now, I think I have the liquidity to still buy back in if my team's still contending.
0: Would you do that with? In two guys coming come to mind right now, just how hard they're smashing, and how well they're playing, and it's the two wide receivers from LSU and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Do they kind of just pseudo feel like they're falling into that elite quarterback territory? Just how much head and shoulders above the rest of the wide receiver group that they are? I mean, A.J. Brown has been dope. Uh, C.D. Lamb has come on strong here lately. There's been a, a some wide receivers that have stood up and said hello, right? You know, I love T. Higgins. He had a monster game last week. One of the only wide receivers that actually performed, and I know this from Bomb Squad, which I took a giant Elda Mason in with – Devonte Adams, Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins, and Stefan Diggs all not even making a best ball lineup, which I didn't think was ever going to happen, but here we are. <laughs> I'm just shitting the bed. But with how well they're performing pretty much all year and being so head and shoulders above the rest with their age... Do you feel like those are guys that you would pivot off of in these kind of moves or have they kind of gotten into that? I'm not going to say untouchable because nobody on my dynasty rosters is ever untouchable. There's always an offer you can make to get anybody. And I mean anybody. Sure. But with those guys, do they kind of get there where like, I just don't have a lot of incentive to move off of them. Right. I don't have a lot of incentive to go down to a Christian Kirk and a couple first or, you know, like one of these kind of moves.
1: No, no, you're right. So, so let me say this. I think that the elite, the true elite quarterbacks to me it's getting close to the point Mike and we talked about this a lot in episodes in the summer like learning experiences right with the elite quarterbacks even if you're dangling a lot of firsts in front of me if I don't project one of them like securely in the early range that I have a chance to control myself to position myself for a quarterback back it gets dicey man Right, even with all those first, so like I, even then, like I'm gonna need a haul plus a quarterback in the top twelve range typically to move off of those guys. Now, here's the thing with the wide receiver, right? And when I started this summer, we talked a lot about this. We talked about this, what we saw last year, uh, Jamar Chase's rookie season, Justin Jefferson in the second year. We talked about how deep the position is, Mike. But but here's what I have learned this year, and now this may not be the stickiest for how it's gonna go forever. Like, if the 23 running backs come in and smash, maybe we see a little bit of difference with how running backs are valued. But today, what I've seen, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, points per game, are both top five receivers this season, right? They're both super youthful. They both carry this dynasty weight that's so big. Mm -hmm. Jamar Chase goes down and doesn't leave the territory. Like, even if he tears his ACL, he probably goes down a little further, but he doesn't leave top 10. Like, that's not really the case for most players at other positions outside of the elite group of quarterbacks, like I just talked about with Kyler Murray, right? The value insulation plus what they put in your lineup is what I think makes Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase different. Like, <laughs> as crazy as this is, right? Th- think about CeeDee Lamb for a second. When that got hurt, people panicked on C.D. for a bit, Right? Yeah. CD, I don't care what you think or don't think about him. He got into a different range of territory of what people thought, and you could actually acquire CD reasonably. Like Jamar Chase, even though there was an injury discount, quote-unquote, didn't really exist that much. It wasn't a big dip. I think Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, because they're scoring the same as like Tyreek Hill and Cooper Cup were, you know, Stephon Diggs, these guys that are older that don't cost as much, but the value insulation so high. Yeah, I, I think they've started to reach an area where, like, I think for me, I'll still trade them away. Like, I, I'm very much pro-trading them. hmm But that's because you're going to have to pay me Stefan Diggs and a first and a plus. Like, the, the cost of acquisition for those guys in Dynasty commands so much, I'll trade them. But they're not, like, untouchable by any means. But I, it's also the big learning point that I think you and I learned, Mike, is those two are difference makers at the wide receiver position and the dynasty value they command it's value insulated something crazy. I will say this too. Like I I am so torn on this. Like
0: I've seen the conversations about these wide receivers, uh, specifically these two, and you got all kinds of great data points like what they both did in their sophomore year. And you got all the, uh, the analytic data that goes into it points per game, the whole thing. When I look around at a handful of my leagues, though, Adam, just, just looking at it and then also looking at warp data. And one of the cool things Koopa put in there is not just the the uh, the warp data where it lists out like bar graph form, the top 50, which I was looking off, but he also has these plot graphs, and you can kind of see just the difference. And when you look at those, those secondary graphs, Adam, it's like the elite running backs in scoring for warp and the elite wide receivers. So these two guys that we're talking about are literally like one dot. They're together. And way above them on the graph is the elite quarterbacks. So I think that's what tears me about it, where I go like, and then I just look up points per game so quickly, uh, bomb squad scoring. So if you kind of think about that, everything that Ray had built that league up as far as scoring, Justin Jefferson's an absolute unit, right? He's scoring 30.8 fantasy points per game through the season. That's what he's averaging, right? That's incredible. That's, That's quarterback, right? That's like having another super flex quarterback in your lineup. The difference is, though, man, Cooper Cup was at 29 before he got hurt. Tyreek Hill currently still 28.6, right? Stefan Diggs, 25 points. When I go to the quarterbacks, right, you get Patrick Mahomes at 33, Hurts at 33, Josh Allen's damn near at 32. You scroll down to the, even the back-end QB1s, Adam, it's almost 10, 15 points difference per game. Right. There's not that difference at the wide receiver because it's it's still deep. It's still a deep position with a lot of studs that don't cost near what Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson does. You don't get that at the quarterback position, right? You can't go from a, a Patrick Mahomes to a you a Derek Carr and feel good about your life, right? You're sacrificing damn near ten points per game to go down to that guy.
1: Well, and that doesn't feel good. And and now you're sacrificing every point per game because Derek Carr is not playing. For the next two, <laughs> but but Mike, like uh, okay, so so I think there's two conversations here, right? Because I, I I'm with you, and that's kind of you talked about the tearing, like being torn on this, right? So when you think about it, the quarterbacks, the top twelve versus the replacements, like you basically have the top twelve that are so secure with points per game, their dynasty value, and then you have like you're just gonna try to go bargain bin, and fi- on and find Geno. You're going to find Danny yep. Dimes of this year, Jared Goff, right? But he, here's the thing, though. Similarly to the quarterbacks, and this is where the dynasty value is so, so crazy. Okay, so think about this for a second. The guys you mentioned, you got Cooper Cup, Stephon Diggs. Who are the ones Tyreek Hill, right?
0: Yep, yep. Let's just say Devontae, gener- Adams.
1: Devontae Adams, right? Okay, perfect. Uh, anyone else? So six wide
0: receivers in the scoring setting are above 24 points per game.
1: Okay, Jamar Chase, Sixth Justin seven. Jefferson, and those four?
0: Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Tyreek, Stefan, and Devontae Adams. And Perfect. And the next closest is Amon Ra at 22.
1: So. Perfect. Okay, so so let me use those six because that's actually exactly what, it, what I wanted to talk about, and it fits the narrative perfectly. All right. Let's say, Mike, you tear down because we talk about this a lot with the receiver, and I think this is where those two, though, for me, are a little different. All right, so let's say you tear down from – either Jefferson or Chase, and you stay in that range of Cooper Cup, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, and you get a first, right? Like in best ball, you're going to say, yeah, that's a a win, right? Yeah, if if everything goes right for that receiver and they smash and you can move that first for more or you still have the additional liquidity, yes. Here's the difference where I think these guys are more like the quarterbacks, not necessarily in points per game, but in dynasty value, Mike. If you had Cooper Cup... In a late first for Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, while he's smashing your love and life, when mm. Cooper Cup goes down, what Cooper Cup you can trade him for in that late first, versus if you had uh, Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase and they go down, I can trade Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson as they go down. Like people will come to me ninety percent and pay me that. Cooper Cup is not worth the first. Like you get crushed on the age difference there, where I think with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, like even if they tear an ACL, you're going to get someone to pay crazy for those guys because of everything that they've built up in people's minds, dynasty value-wise. I think that's where those two, maybe not necessarily points per game difference like you're mentioning between quarterback top tier and quarterback mid-tiers, but what they command and how they essentially stay like a fine wine like even if they get hurt they're going to be fine dynasty value wise i think that's what makes them more like quarterbacks it does make me
0: like want to be 50 50 on it where it's just they are more like quarterbacks but they just quite aren't there yet like if anybody wants to talk about it like you need to take them at the 104 or the 105 that's where i'm gonna draw a hard line right there's There's at least six, seven quarterbacks that need to go before those two wide receivers every single draft, right? Because hitting on one of those elite quarterbacks is just such a game changer. Whether it's you want to look at points per game or you want to look at warp, you want to look at the the differences and tiers between the elite guys at the quarterback and the wide receivers, you have more options. I do agree, though, their age, how fast they've done it, how fast they've risen makes me value them higher. And I don't think there's any question anymore as much as you and I have uh, shit on it over this past year on Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, whether it's on the trade show, whether it's on this podcast, whether it's on an AMA or the advice we've given. I will say that is one adjustment that I have made where I now value those wide receivers more closely to where a lot of the Dynasty community had been and does value them currently. I will say this, though there's still some people out there where they're pushing them a little bit too hard. Right. And I think if you just look at a warp graph, you go, mm, Josh Jacobs and Jamar chase, Josh Jacobs has more warp value to your team right now than a Jamar chase. And it's not because Jamar chase is bad at football. It's just the different landscapes amongst the position, right? The positional value that we're talking about where you could get by Adam And you could accomplish some of our earlier goals where we're talking about where you go like, Jamar Chase is so damn valued. I'm going to get Josh Jacobs in two first and maybe another throw in. Now I have liquidity. Now I have a guy that's producing. Now I have a guy that can help me actually win a championship. And then when I get to this point, maybe I don't get to buy ever back in on Jamar Chase, right? Maybe he never loses that value, kind of like Kenneth Walker or Mark Andrews where we're talking about where they come back to earth a little bit. But I could still go get a Stefan Diggs for these two firsts. I could still go get a uh, Tyreek Hill in the championship game where I'm still getting a good wide receiver. Who's a warp difference maker, not to the level of some of these other guys, but I already, you know, I killed two birds with one stone and I'm still fucking around with an extra draft pick or an extra piece that I got. As that's well.
1: that's perfect because Mike is what's crazy is I was going to get to again, things I've learned and tying all these points in quarterbacks, those elite receivers, Probably even, as much as I made an example out of Andrews, the elite elite tight ends, the very difference-making as far as you can get the points back, and they're still going to retain the dynasty value. These are the type players that I think you treat more like draft picks because of how much they are going to retain. So if I'm going to move a Justin Jefferson, right, Jamar Chase, what I'm going to try to do is, get as close as i can like in best ball especially mike the way we talk about this in best ball if i can get myself positioned for the buy like even if you're in a league that trade deadlines happen right before the season's over like i'm positioned for the buy okay now if i want to go win a title i can probably move justin jefferson for every bit of josh jacobs i'm in ross st brown and another plus right boom now I'm looking for that type trade. Whereas if I do that in the off season and it doesn't go well, <laughs> you're, you're SOL because if you made the bet on Josh Jacobs and it's the wrong running back, that's where you get burned, right? Yes. But if now if you do it and it's, you know, the Miles Sanders types, the Josh Jacobs types, and you do it timely, like we talked about with all the other stuff we learned, that's where I'm okay with it. Like I'll forego a lot of that dynasty value if I can extract it in full value. When it's timely and i'm ready to make the playoff push
0: i love it man it's a great way to finish the show for me because i just posted about if you guys all remember dynasty degenerates way back when best ball league we talked about a couple trades with spike weeks and consistent weeks that i had made that got absolutely roasted on twitter now Oof. fast forward to now if you haven't seen the tweet surprise surprise i i kind of knew what i was doing just a little bit this is me just casually gloating, but. Those two trades that i made, that team is in the championship and favored in the championship pretty heavily um, in that best ball league. But, Adam, to your point, that was selling in the offseason Jonathan Taylor and then selling a Devontae Smith and a Kyle Pitts for multiple different pieces just based on how crusty could I get where this deal is smash accepted, how much do people overvalue the whole lineup aspect versus best ball when you know you need multiple pieces, but to tie it all together, Adam, even though that trade worked out and I'm sitting here casually gloating, I still learn from it because what you're talking about is I did that, you know, in, in over the summer months, right? I did that in the summer months. If I did that closer to the season, if I do that in season, when Jonathan Taylor has a good week or even Kyle Pitts, you know how, how the struggle was for a couple weeks and then he had that smash week, if I would have timed it much better at that time, the return is even greater. Right. My risk is even less. I now have a few weeks of data to look at and to see the guys that I wanted to play. Because in all reality, Josh Jacobs was a part of that Jonathan Taylor deal. Maybe Josh Jacobs did come out the gates, and it was a uh, you know a split with him and Zamir White, like everybody kind of thought it was. And and all of a sudden, Josh Jacobs isn't catching passes, and he's not. He's like a ten point fantasy scorer. It looks a lot shittier, right? But right. I assumed all that risk by making it in, in the summertime versus in season at some point or at least closer to the season. So same thing with the Kyle Pitts, Devontae Smith deal. I ended up getting, getting a little bit lucky. Um, and and the, I think the only reason it worked out is because it is best ball and there were so many pieces coming back on the other side. You know, it's like a one for four deal. There's four pieces coming back on the opposite end. So
1: yes, yes, I, w- I will
0: say this: if you tie both of those together, what I learned with best ball that you can still exploit it, but also exactly what you're talking about timing when to do it. Treat them like uh, like your draft picks, right? Hold them. Don't don't be so willy nilly with it in the off season. I think that is the perfect way, and I, I'm not going to say perfect way because. No matter what we do, Adam, in our entire career, we're just over a little, like a year and a half of us podcasting and actually putting our thoughts down and recording. We we tweak and we get better every single year. There's always something that I want to improve on. So I'm not going to say it's the perfect way because next year we may be sitting here at this very same time going like, okay, that worked a little bit. Let's try to take it to the next level. Let's try to think of how else to tweak this strategy and what else did we learn But I will say right now heading into 2023, when I'm doing roster construction, I'm trying to build contenders. When I'm looking at my teams, I'm applying all of what we talked about here and especially what you talked about with the best ball teams with those elite assets. That is something that's going to be in the back of my mind. Like, don't do it in March, Mike. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it in June. Don't do it in July. Have some patience. Take a deep breath. These assets are still going to be elite in September. You know, if you want to get off Jonathan Taylor for the multiple pieces, you want to get off of Kyle Pitts, you know, do it week one, do it week two, do it week three. Whenever you feel like their value is at the peak and people want to pay for it and you have a little bit more clarity and less risk in what you're acquiring.
1: I I think that's the big thing. And I'll say the last point, Mike, for me is I, I think it actually goes both ways. We talk about like tying this all together, what I've learned. Right. So, you know, we made bets on particular situations or players some of them paid off some of them didn't a lot of them we had paid off I mean what what Tua's not going to play next week and he's been up and down but for what we got Tua in the offseason yeah. he, he's a win right Brandon Ayuk a win we, we had plenty of wins but we had some big losses too right and for me like my biggest loss was Cam Akers and, I, and when I think about this right it's the same concept as Jacobs but they're going to be different ways they get there right so Josh Jacobs was gonna be more like the decline. So you're you're buying in the summer, you would have actually won by variance and buying a dip there. But it's still not timed correctly because you just got lucky that this was the year he popped unless you felt very confident, right? Cam Akers, if you would have bought him in the offseason, was the opposite. Okay, so you bought him in the offseason thinking hype. Like you were you were on team ATM, like this guy's talent, situation, it's all gonna pay off. But if you look and think about it, right? The time to buy both of them probably best cuz you don't know. Like you said, Zamir White could have came out and done something different. They didn't opt into his fifth year. What if they were really looking for something else? What if Josh Jacobs didn't pop that way? Mm-hmm. Like that variance exists. What if he would have rolled his ankle week 2? So Zamir White plays more and then he's still in the in the mix, he's still good, but he's not getting that feature workload. You think about buying Josh Jacobs? Midway through the season. Okay, so his value has accrued. But he's still not in, like, anywhere near untouchable range. Someone will sell you Josh Jacobs week 8, week 9, week 7, right? When you're feeling good more about buying him and his situation's better. Yeah. The opposite's true about Cam Akers. Like, if you're a truther on Cam Akers, and and supposed to be an overexposed on him in the summer, when he is asking for a trade and doesn't get one and isn't playing for a team, like... You, you're not going to lose buying him. Because if he goes to zero, you're buying him damn near at that. You could buy him for a late second easy in places, dude. Nobody wanted anything to do with game makers outside of people that are absolute truthers. Like, if this back part of the season where he's having these RB big RB weeks don't happen, okay, but you didn't pay for that. Like, y- you can buy guys on the dip and on the upswing timely midseason based on dips and ups because Josh Jacobs doesn't cost really what his up is in warp, Mike, if you buy him in midseason. Cam Akers, when he's at a plateau, just because of draft capital, like what he's worth as far as the upside, like he he, he was, you get him a second, third places, people were panicked on him. So you can buy both of those midseason as opposed to putting your chips on the line in the preseason before you even know what your team's going to be.
0: That's right. I mean, you had damn near... Yeah, Dan, the whole month of September, right, to buy Josh Jacobs. I just had to look it up on Keep Trade Cut, man. September 30th, he's still RB28. Exactly, (laughs) exactly, exactly. He he, he had a whole month. He had four or five NFL weeks to buy Josh Jacobs when people are still devaluing the piss out of him. (laughs) I still hate him. Still hate him. Comes out, scores 30 points one week. No one cares. It's (laughs) Josh Jacobs. There's preconceived
1: notions that can't be overcome until the end of the year when he's doing it, you know?
0: But I'd much rather, like, how much better do you feel about buying Josh Jacobs right after you see him put up a 30 point week and people still hate him? then if you were to buy Josh Jacobs, like I said, you're buying him in June or July, right? You have all that time for things to change. All those NFL weeks, all the preseason for something bad to happen or some questions about his usage. Like, just wait till week four, man, and then buy buy Josh Jacobs. You'll be fine.
1: Exactly. And, And I think that is summarizing it all together, how you can take all the points and utilize it at appropriate positions for your advantage, right? Josh Jacobs had gotten to the point for people where he was a former first-round startup pick going into year two, and everyone had soured so much that it didn't matter what the kid did. He was going to be Josh Jacobs, man, the gross Josh Jacobs. So you you can use those things, plus the fact that you have time to assess your team and the injury risks before you start making pushes on your draft capital and making a direction pick. I think really – All the 4-D process still applies, Mike. It's just we're much more aware and rigid on timing of when you do it, not necessarily just doing it in the summer.
0: You remember a couple years ago, this is the last thing I got, buddy, and then we'll bounce out of here, but you remember a couple years ago, our first year in Bomb Squad, and you and I are both competing rosters. And how long into the season were we sitting there going like, nobody wants our damn draft picks. Nobody wants to trade for the first round all along, man that was the play that was actually a gift from heaven right you wait until right up until the trade deadline you still got these draft picks and now the situations are much clearer the values are much clearer you know much uh you have a much better idea of what you're actually buying into and what kind of risk you're assuming so that's big, I, I just I, I, just remember you and I both having these conversations and being frustrated about it that nobody wanted to trade for picks. But all along, man, last year it was staring us in the face. That's the actual right process play. And here we are in 2022 going like, yeah, we need to do that more. <laughs> we need to be carrying those picks into the season.
1: And, and you know what else? And I, I think this is a point I learned. Last part I learned this is a short summary to that point, right? In the start of the year, sometimes you're like this team's ready to win, and football's finally kicked off, and you're just ready to contend, right? And I think you're looking at other people's teams, kind of roster baiting them, saying he's not ready. Let me send him my first. But these teams don't want to take a first yet because they haven't made a direction pick. They haven't. Mm-hmm. It hasn't hit them in the face. Yeah, man, you ain't it. Like they still have that hopium. You know, they still believe that. This is my team. Even though we all can see clear as day, it's not going to happen. Well, as it goes on and you're getting to the more mid part of the season, later part of the season, it hits them in the face. Now that pick that you have, which you haven't lost out the risk of, oh crap, I had all these injuries I can't control. They're actually willing to take now. So you lose a little bit of value because it's going to be more of the late one, right? But it's still highly valuable. But now they actually want it. Whereas if you trade that pick to someone when they don't want it, you're going to overpay. So don't do that. It's just, you're right. It smacks you in the face. It's so much better to wait and see it out and then send the first when that other team really values it and they've made a direction pick too.
0: All right, man. I love it. Next week, just a little uh, little preview, Adam, we're going to dive into. We did it last year. We got to do it this year. Our biggest player misses. You kind of touched on some of them, but Oof. there's a there's – a, there's a giant list. <laughs> there's such a giant list. We'll have at least we'll one episode. Misses. Yeah, we'll, we'll recap week 17 if there's anything that went on. Uh, maybe gloat about any championships we won, but it's going to be a Debbie Downer for Adam and I, but I like to put our L's out there publicly. I don't hide behind them. I don't delete tweets. Adam, you don't do the same. I, nah. I wear my L's proudly, <laughs> and that's how I get better and learn, but it's the week of L's, man, and uh, I can tell you Antonio Gibson will will be on that list.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and that's kind of, I guess, a good summary to finish this up here, right? One, the people here at 4D, Mike and myself, we are never going to hide behind the fact that we missed because the human element of dynasty and fantasy is you're going to miss, right? But as you learn, what are, the pe- what are the people, the things, the assets to miss on versus not miss on? And Mike, kind of what I was touching on there with the Cam Akers and Josh Jacobs talk, okay, if you get overexposed to Cam Akers in that first range, like that burned you. Like that was one of the things that did burn me. I have a lot of rebuilders where I'm, I'm cool. I have value. I've been able to eat some of that value loss. But that particular bet was a loss for me because imagine this, right? When you get the 23 first type value, fifth, sixth, seventh round start at pick Cam Akers was, like that lost a lot of value. But, Mike, if you buy it at the right time, like if I have overexposure of Cam Akers and I bought when it's like, okay, this is still a second-round running back that's young, like I think he'll beat Land somewhere on his feet, and I bought that late second range, (laughs) I'm okay overexposed there. You know what I mean? That's kind of why it's such a big difference because the L on Cam Akers is that you bought at the wrong time because now he's on a horrible team that nobody wants to start people on, and he's hitting, right? Like even Antonio Gibson, if you would have bought at the appropriate time, isn't going to give you a huge L. We we got L's because we bought them at the wrong time. But, yeah, that that's really this episode here. Um, if you enjoy listening to our L's, you probably do, just for humor's sake. <laughs> you need to tap in next week because we're going to go a full episode in. But um, that, that was kind of our process. Uh, we appreciate everybody, especially you winning the YouTube giveaway, giving us the content for the show. Um, and shout shape-
0: out to our band, Dr. B. Harris, for that one.
1: Dr. B. Harris, man getting the getting youtube giveaway one of our survivors tier members we appreciate a uh a dope topic to discuss here what we learned and i hope everybody listening took a little from that because i think those are some of the big principles we learned this year where a lot of our process i think was right but it's always refining and learning where you missed and where you can sure up those are the things we learned so i hope this uh helps you out and um shapes your view and thought processes Cause this is it. This is the last week. Someone's gonna win a title. And we're back into rebuild mode, baby. Every single one of us is thinking 2023. And just remember, when your league mates are playing chess, play 40 chess.
0: Let's gonna do it. We're out of here. See you next week. Same time, same place. Peace. Peace.